1: The Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for
2: listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 Frank Barron of the Debate Commission, is going to be with us in a matter of moments. And then we're going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. I'll ask him about this refugee program that stopped, and these are the people that help us at war, fighting terrorists we're not letting them in. That's, we've got to adjust that strategy. And, of course, he's, uh, he's chairman of the Texas GOP. So let's get to the big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: 2.2, 2, okay. and I would like to go I would be willing to go more because I think that n- number one, I view it differently. We get the money back the government. It gets the money back ultimately anyway, and it's better than unemployment, and it's better than all of the other costs associated with the alternative. So I want to go uh, bigger than that number.
2: That made some news. That was the president about 20 minutes ago on Fox and Friends with me, uh, with us. Uh, COVID-19. Cases are rising around the world, including Europe. Uh, they are wobbling towards another lockdown. What about us? Plus, a rescue package has new momentum. You just heard
4: it. Number two. Brand new images obtained by Fox News's Mike Emanuel appear to show Hunter Biden's signature on a receipt for laptop repair. Fox News has not verified the signature is his, but Hunter's name also appearing in the Bill to section. And it contains an email and cell phone belonging to Hunter.
2: Avoidance is not a strategy, but it actually might work. The laptop left in a Delaware repair shop looks more and more legit as Hunter's signature is on the bill and the paperwork from the FBI shows the owner is telling the truth. More emails reveal unsettling deals in Ukraine, China, and now Romania. Can Joe continue to say, I don't know? Is this a game changer? We'll see.
5: Number one.
2: It would behoove the president to interrupt a little bit less.
6: And then as for foreign policy, there is still one segment on the debate Thursday night for national security. And that, of course, is the window for President Trump to get into the various issues that he needs to get into.
2: And that would be the category. It would behoove the president to interrupt a little bit less and then ask the ask for foreign policy in the middle. There's still one segment on the debate Thursday night for national security, as you just heard Ari say, and that's where he could slide it in. But without any more debate, let's bring in Frank, uh, Frank Farrenkoff. He's back on the show, chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates. And, Frank, there's a lot of talk about this new rule about when the other person's talking, you're now going to be killing or bringing down the other candidate's mic. What went into that decision? And thanks so much for joining us.
7: Sure. Happy to be, be with you, Brian, again. Uh, first of all, it's not a new rule. The, the campaigns agreed early on. Going back to June of this year, when we announced like that, what right? the he formats were going to be for the campaigns, uh, for, for the debates, and they both agreed to live with it, it provides very clearly that the first four minutes on each of the six segments, each candidate gets to speak for two minutes without interruption. So that's the rule, and it's, that's been the rule. But now, you, but you never killed audio, rule.
2: though. Right.
7: No, no, we have never. We have never killed audio. And they, but th- what happened in the last debate is they both violated that rule. That, that's what they agreed to. So all we did here, and we didn't believe that we could change any rules without both sides agreeing, okay? And so we're not changing a rule. All we're doing is saying, all right, you've already agreed that n- there are no interruptions for that two minutes on each of the six segments, and therefore when someone starts speaking, gets their two minutes, the other microphone is going to be turned off until the two minutes are up, then the other person gets it. That's it. The rest of the debate is open microphones. It's just to enforce what they've already agreed to, those two minutes uninterrupted.
2: All right, so here's what the president just told us on Fox and Friends about that.
7: Well, I
3: think the whole thing is crazy. This commission, I had problems with them four years ago where they uh, stifled out my mic during my conversation with Crooked Hillary, and, uh, you know, they muted my mic. They did a whole thing. They did this to me already. Uh, they modulated it at the time, and they actually had to write me a letter of apology, and they did it on purpose. Look, these people are not good people, this commission. Uh, a lot of funny things go on with them.
2: What's your reaction to that?
7: Well, I, I watched him. I watched the show this morning. I would say that. You know, I've known Donald for 30-plus years, okay? Uh, he knew me when I was chairman of the Republican National Committee for, for President Reagan. Uh, we're, we do our best here, as an, and we're nonpartisan. We are not biased. And we try to do everything, like well, I jokingly say, but it's not a joke, with our USA hat on. And we thought that something had to be done not to change the rules for this debate, but to make sure the American people get to hear what went on. You have to admit that last debate terrible. Was, not, was, was terrible. So all we've done is tweak here, but not changing the rule. And the president, you know, uh, as I say, I've known him a long time. He, he often attacks people that, you know, and I, th- I think, for example, the, 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 uh, Kristen Welker, who's, as you know, the, the moderator for the final debate. And the president attacked him uh, her yesterday and a little bit today on your show. You know who Jason Miller is. He's on your show quite a bit. He's a senior advisor, senior advisor to the campaign, one of the most important people in the Trump campaign. He was on Martha's show last week. Here's what he said. This is a quote. I have a very high opinion of Kristen Welker. I think she's going to do an excellent job as the moderator for the third debate. I think she's a journalist who's very fair in her approach, and I think that she'll be a very good choice for this third debate. I mean, that was a week ago. Now, suddenly, everything's changed. But I understand. That's politics. That's politics. But, but what we've done here uh, is I, not change the rule. We're just enforcing to make sure that they both live up to what they've agreed to. That's nothing
2: more. It's no, uh, Frank, I'm just going to tell you, the pushback on that is apparent to big donors, uh, to Obama and Clinton, and she was a Democrat uh, in 2004 and 2012 and now is Undeclared, That gets people uneasy, especially her tone in those press rooms and and the way she seems to be talking at the president and Kayleigh McEnany and her predecessor, Huckabee Sanders. That's what people look at and say, really? Is that the most fair, or fair and balanced person available?
7: Well, a- apparently the campaign up until last week thought she was fair and balanced when you listen to what Justin Miller just said. And they went a little further and said, well, she spent... She spent Christmas at the White House with the Obamas and they showed a picture. And you know you were probably there. Every president, Republican or Democrat, for as long as I know, and I've been in Washington for thirty years, has held at Christmas time yeah, a journalist's reception. But to post a picture of her saying that she spent I mean, so listen, that's politics. There's gonna be the attacks, the proof is in the pudding. They thought she was great, they thought they welcomed her being chosen. She's gotta perform now. Let's see what she does. She's, I know yeah. she's working very, very hard, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I can't control it. We don't pick the the, the the moderators. Pick the debates subjects. That's been in the, the agreement for years. Uh, we don't have any influence over it. That's an interference in in the integrity of j- the journalists. You know, if you were one of the journalists who we chose, and maybe we'll do that next time if I'm still around, right. uh, you would pick them, and we would we we could not. You know, tell you what to do. And well, look Frank, who
2: picked, do. who picked who uh, picked Kristen and Wallace and um, and Scully? The the commission
7: reviews what we do. Brian is we observe on television for about six months. And and of course, Susan was a, primarily a, a journalist uh, from the standpoint of the print media. And we've never had one. She was the first person from the print media, primarily a print media. And we try to watch them. We know that we've got to have diversity. We go through, we discuss with people what they think of these people. Are these people who will do a fair job, even though they're either going to be a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent? And we don't choose by network. We choose by looking at the body of work of that person and you know, consulting people on both sides to see whether or not they're respected enough that we can put them in that position. And that's what we did this time, as we've done in the past.
2: Well, the Scully we thing, the, right? The Scully thing sorry. went. I mean, I, you say oh. both sides. The Scully thing went off the rails quick. I mean, work for oh, it, Ted Kennedy. Works. Yeah,
7: I don't know if you knew. I don't know if you knew Steve. I, I've known him for thirty years. You had people like Carl Rove and and Spicer, Sean Spicer, and others, Republicans and Democrats, stand up for him when it first broke, saying he's a very truthful guy. I, me too. I, I've known him. I thought he was he was great. I, what, what he did was wrong. Uh, but we didn't know. No one knew. And he lied to C-SPAN and he lied to uh, lied to the commission and he lied to the American
2: people. Yeah, but yeah, you just saw in his back. I don't know if it, I don't know, I've never screened it, but I'm just saying when you see his background, never Trump, never. Uh, and when you see that he worked for Ted Kennedy and he interned for Joe Biden, I know what you said about the internship, you'll get anything you want. But you just think to yourself, uh oh, am I gonna get a fair shot being so much is at stake. I mean you know this right. election was decided by just thousands of votes. That's, that's it. That's correct. That's
3: correct. So that's, that's why correct. you know that's right. why
2: people are digging in. So here's what else the president said about the commission, yeah,
0: twenty four. Okay.
3: The commission has lost tremendous credibility. They lost it with me four years ago when they modulated the mic. I understood that. And you look at who's look at Bob Dole, he wrote a letter saying that he knows the people. And these are not the right people to have.
2: So did you modulate his mic
7: four years ago? No, no. And let me tell you you about that. If you watched him on television, if you watched that debate, this was the first debate at Hofstra. If you watched the debate on television, you didn't see any problem with the microphone. If you were in the hall, there was a problem with modulation of his, of, of his uh, mic. Now, we do a lot of, I do a lot of speaking, and it, that's a disturbing thing. If, you, if, you're, if you're speaking in this modulation, sure. but it wasn't an intentional thing. And, in fact, they, they came to us and said, could we have our mic expert, our sound expert, stand with your person who was in charge there in Hofstra for the remaining debates? And we said, surely you can do that. And they had someone with him and that person that the president said did it on purpose was so impressive that the Trump campaign hired him to do the sound for the inauguration so nothing was done intentionally was something wrong with the mic it was it wasn't done intentionally and we wrote a letter saying that it was you know it was it was disturbing for him i'm sure in my experience but th- there wasn't a conspiracy it just happened right. and it's the first time it's happened in the 30 32- u you know, 30 years of my being on, this, on the
2: commission. <laughs> Frank, the other thing is on foreign <laughs> policy. Let's clarify the foreign yes. policy. I, I succinctly remember the soundbite that, that lived throughout the last 10 years is Mitt Romney uh, said that Russia is the number one geopolitical foe of the U.S. And and then yes. Barack Obama had that famous line, the 1980s called, they want their foreign policy back. Uh, the Cold yeah, War is yeah, over. Yeah. I mean, so no that question. was the last debate. And everyone says the last debate is usually foreign policy. You say?
7: Not true. Not true. And the campaign knew that. I had a, a discussion. I'm not going to name who, but someone very high, the highest level of the Trump campaign asked me, is it, on, is it foreign policy? I said, no, no, no. We used to do that in, in the early Two thousand debates. We'd say, all right, let's do one. This is before we went into the new format where there's there's six divisions over the 90 minutes where it was just a straight debate. And we used to say, let's do one on foreign policy and one on domestic policy. But we found out that didn't work because if you were working on foreign policy and something came up during the week, that had to be domestic policy. So we gave up on that way back at the beginning. And I told them, I said, if you have any questions about that, go back and look at the 2016 debate, which the president participated in. There was not one on domestic policy. There was not one on foreign policy. The rule then was that the moderators made the choice of the subjects.
2: But does it bother you that this moderator made the same, same choices thing? as Chris Wallace?
7: Well, well, there was, there's no question there's some similarity. And do I think if, if it was me doing it, uh, I would have done foreign policy Yes, I would have done it. I think it was missing. Now, I think the fact that there is one in there that was named on national security and leadership, it gives the president an opportunity to make the the case that he made on your show this morning on what he's done and compare his record to the record of of Joe Biden.
2: So, uh, Frank, a couple of things just on the format. Uh, Give us an idea. Give the listeners an idea of what we're going to see. We're going to see a topic and they're going to get two minutes each. But when do they mix it up? Right.
7: Yeah. Remember, each of, there's six 15-minute segments. So for the first two minutes, one of them will speak uninterrupted. Then the next two minutes, the other person will speak uninterrupted. And then for the remainder 11 minutes, it's wide open. No mics are all open, and they can then go, go back and forth. And we want them to debate. You know, for years, the, the, the debaters wouldn't even talk to each other. Way back when Jerry Ford, uh, and, and uh, President Carter were running against each other. Uh, the, the debate was held. We didn't do it back then. It was done by the League of Women Voters. Uh, and the lights went out in Philadelphia, the University of Pennsylvania. They stood there for 16 minutes at the microphones until it was, the power came back on, never talked to each other, never even looked at each other. So we want, the reason we went to this new format is we want the candidates to debate. It's not an interview with the moderator. It's a debate. And right. I think we achieved that. And that's what we want. So it's at that point so, in time that they can
2: go back and forth. And they can interrupt each other, and maybe the moderator will say, guys, you're talking over each other just like a it's host would on a yeah. show like this. But, Ab- absolutely. All right, so absolutely that, that'll that be interesting. That'll be good. But, uh, but the one thing I want to ask you is I watched Mike Pence do a tactic, and they told me it was totally illegal. He would, They would move on to another subject, and he would say, just one thing that uh, Senator Harris just said, and finish up what Senator Harris said, and then finish up the question usually, and – in that case, I thought, okay, that was interesting. We got his got his rebuttal. He took it out of his own time, and then he answered the question of the time remaining. Will these because a lot of times I wanted to see what Trump had to say, what Joe Biden had to say, but they moved to another yes, topic.
8: Right. right so right. is will the Here's will the, the moderator
2: right. say, Stop, I change subjects, you have to change subjects too? Or they let the president do and the vice president do what they want to do with their time?
7: Well, there will be some ability to not automatically shut them off. For example, with the two minutes. If this is an automatic sh- shutoff if one of the candidates is in the middle of a sentence or so and they go 10 10 seconds 15 seconds over that's going to be fine that's going to be fine in the other in, in the other p- part when it's an open debate what we do and we've been doing it since you know, we started the commission and it was done even before us is backstage they' they are keeping track of the time the goal is to get the two candidates each as much time as the other we don't want anyone to dominate so if someone goes over, by 15 seconds. That's noted. And both, by the way, both campaigns will, will be right there moderating, making sure uh, from, the, from the, their standpoint that it's being evenly divided. You make up for the time by gotcha. giving another candidate a little bit more time.
2: Frank, can't thank you enough for coming on with us. I texted you in the morning and you said sure, and I texted you last week and you said sure. So best of luck. Uh, so much at stake. That's thanks. why chairman so of the Commission on Presidential Debates, uh, that position is extremely important. Frank, thanks so much.
7: Thanks, Brian.
2: You got it. Uh, A lot of clarification there. Back in a moment with you, 1-866-408-7669.
1: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade
0: Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. (coughs) Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now, Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams.
1: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Welcome back, uh, welcome back, everyone. What a wild morning. Just had a chance to speak with the president on Fox and & Friends. And then uh, Frank Farenkopf was called out as chairman of the Commission on Presidential Debates. He doesn't take it personal, but he said they never agreed that the last debate is foreign policy, number one. Number two, said they never intentionally cut his mic. was poorly modulated in the Hofstra arena, and they called to apologize about that. But at home, we got it. And Frank also said that it was the moderator that picked all the topics and did admit that they are very similar and did say that you, under national security, which could be, I think, if it's by the if the order of the way it was listed, will be the last topic is when you could slide in and talk about just about everything. But he also confirmed that it's going to be killed.
6: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
2: the mics, but, re- uh, ...but underlined the fact that he says this is just enforcing what everybody agreed on, that you would give the other candidate two minutes to finish their remarks. In the long run, I understand the president's ticked off about it because it's a little disrespectful for the president of the United States to have his mic killed, as well as the vice president who could be president. But I don't don't understand this. I do understand this. This will actually work to his advantage. It takes the pressure off for jumping in. Number one. Number two, Joe Biden is not smooth on any way, shape or form. It's not smooth. And unlike what, uh, what Jake Tapper said over the weekend to Larry Trump rudely, it's not because it's not because he stutters. It's because of some of the things he says he doesn't think through. Whether you ain't black, one of these things, or when he got a tough question, he came back at the guy and said, are you a junkie? What do you think about that question? It's those bizarre responses. It's not a stutter which brings people to say the things they say about him. And I'm not comparing Joe Biden to anybody else except Joe Biden. The Joe Biden who ran in an 08 and debated with uh, Paul Ryan, a lot different than the one we're looking at now. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West is next. Where's Texas these days? I'll tell you what, 5,000 people already voted.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Well, a lot of things. It's just going very well. I think he's imploding. You look at all the corruption in his family. It's tremendous corruption nobody's ever seen. I mean, that laptop, nobody has ever seen anything like that. He's gone into hiding. He's done the lid again. He's been there for a long time, and uh, things are changing fast. And the numbers at the polls are looking really good, really, really good.
2: And the president of the United States is optimistic, and we just asked him on Fox and Friends. You know, where's he? Where's he look compared to 2016? He thinks he's doing a lot better. Now, I see the latest ABC poll has him a dead heat in North Carolina. That's about the same. I know it's traditionally Republican, but it's it's purple. Let's be honest. In in uh, Florida, I think he was trailing one or two points in 2016. I think he got it basically even in Michigan. The thing I find disturbing, uh, if I was uh, part of the Trump campaign, is they say he's down eight or nine which I find odd because they got registration so high up in Michigan and Pennsylvania, and those two in particular. They're worried, uh, they're worried about uh, Iowa because I know Joni Ernst is struggling just a little bit, and they're being outspent vastly, and that's just because they haven't done a good job raising money. And don't just blame Trump team. I mean, look around at all these other Senate races. Nobody thought this much money would flow into a Senate race, but I think that uh, it looked like Lindsey Graham pulled in like $28 million. Harrison pulled in $57 million last quarter. That is nuts. So we also are talking about the debate on Thursday. I think if the president, I think this is actually, and I think it bothers the team, the Trump team, because they weren't consulted. And Biden's like, I just want to hold on to this thing. But killing the mic is not going to hurt them. It really isn't. In fact, for the president's point of view, he can just jot stuff down and just get ready to start. And then afterwards, they can go back and forth in a free-flowing fashion. Here's Ori Fleischer, cut seven. The two-minute buzzer is only
6: at the beginning of each segment. That's the only time the candidates will be muted. For the rest of it, they're going to be able to go back and forth with each other. other. And as you know, and I think you believe this too, it would behoove the president to interrupt a little bit less. And then as for foreign policy, there is still one segment on the debate Thursday night for national security. And that, of course, is the window for President Trump to get into the various issues that he needs to get into.
2: And, you know, the whole thing about race relations, the whole thing about climate change, the president's not going to shine there. Do you know any Republican that would shine there that would get the nomination? They're going to talk about responsible uh, energy plans, talk about transitioning when possible, put the free market uh, free market principles in play and don't make it government programs and then Joe Biden's going to come back and say, my goodness, this world is burning. We don't have any more time. The glaciers are uh, the penguins are dying. And if we don't act soon and we're going to retrofit every single building in this country and we are going to demand that fossil fuels are done by 2040 and they, he's going to look like he won the talking point because he's talking irrationally, impractically. And remember, the president of the United States did just talk about Texas.
3: What you said about Texas, don't worry about Texas. Texas is with us. They want to take away your guns, your oil, and your God. Okay, that's what they want. They want to take away your Second Amendment. They want to take away fracking and oil. They don't care they want to take it away. They want to go to the Green New Deal. That's not for Texas. Texas is not going to be losing their guns, and they're not going to be losing their oil, and they're not going to be losing their religion or their God.
2: So that's good news to the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, senior fellow at the Media Research Center and former congressman and also author of Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death. Colonel, welcome back.
10: It's good to be with you. Sorry I'm late.
2: No no problem. Your reaction, is the president overly optimistic about Texas?
10: No, I don't think the president is overly optimistic. I think that without a doubt we have a challenge here. But when you uh, present the issues like the president just did, the United States of America is energy independent and that exporter of his energy resources because of Texas. The uh, fracking and the oil and gas industry, what they've been able to do here, is the reason why he could sit down with UAE and Bahrain uh, because we're not dependent upon any you know energy source coming out of the Middle East. The number one exporter in the world of liquefied natural gas, it comes out of Port Arthur, Texas. And so your energy security is part of your national security. And it's also part of your economic security because you look at how texas's economy has uh, been thriving and so many businesses and corporations are coming here to texas because of those policies so we don't want to go backwards and start to replicate the failures of california illinois new york or new jersey so i think the president's spot on
2: yeah but what about the money flowing in the new people that have come in and they have mm-hmm. a great mission out there however carl rove told me something i don't know if he was taking in super PACs that they've put the democrats have put more money into nebraska than texas
10: well, I don't know in the comparison with uh, Nebraska, but I will tell you that there is a lot of outside money coming in here. For instance, Michael Bloomberg has dumped about 8 to $10 million here, and he's trying to run on the issue of gun control. Yeah. Running on the issue of gun control is not a successful uh a platform in the state of Texas. As a matter of fact, when we look at gun stores in Texas or places such as Academy Sports, you're hard-pressed to find a firearm in Texas right now. And I don't think that people are going out and purchasing firearms so they can vote for the party that says they want to take them away. And furthermore, the number one demographic out there buying and purchasing these weapons are suburban white women. And they are also the number one demographic signing up for concealed carry license classes Because you have these uh, progressive socialists, these Democrats, even in the state of Texas, talking about defunding the police, which is what they did in Austin, the capital of Texas. And we've seen a 63 percent increase in violent crime in Austin since they've done that.
2: Well, right now, where do you think it stands uh, in terms of uh, the presidential election? Do you think it's a five point? You
10: know, I I will tell you that when I look at the enthusiasm that is out there, when I I look at what is happening in the early voting so far here, uh, Republicans are competitive with Democrats in early voting. That is a very rare thing. And in some places, we're outperforming Democrats during this early voting period. We know that we're going to have the folks that turn out on Election Day without a doubt. And the other thing is that uh, a lot of Texans are very nervous about this mail-in balloting. We've had some issues down in the Uh, In the Houston-Harris County area, as a matter of fact, the Texas political director for Joe Biden uh, has been questioned by the FBI as far as an involvement in an illegal ballot harvesting scheme. Really? So we're very – yes. Who is that? So we're very attentive. His name is Dallas Jones, and so we're very attuned to what's going on here in Texas. And, uh, you know, we we know that if they can do any nefarious activities that comes out of uh, Houston and Harris County, where the county clerk, Brian, get this, the county clerk of Houston is a gentleman by the name of Chris Hollins. He's the treasurer of the Texas Democrat Party, but he's also now in charge of the uh, elections down there in Harris County. Talk about a conflict of interest. And the Texas state Supreme Court has already ruled against him for some of the mail-in ballot application uh, schemes that he wants to do. There was a violation of Texas election law. So we're keeping an eye on the Democrats here in Texas.
2: Uh, I guess so. So i got to bring you to something else. New York Times had a story that the refugees that assisted uh, the men and women in the military in the most horrible places on Earth from Iraq— To Sudan and Somalia are looking to get expedited citizenship here because if we leave them in their country, they're going to get killed. Can you please let Steve Miller and everybody with the administration know how valuable it is to be dependable for these informants?
10: Well, it is absolutely valuable, and let's go back and remember what happened to Dr. Afridi uh, over in Pakistan, who was the uh, person that uh, put the finger on Osama bin Laden in his compound there in uh, Abbottabad, and yet he was arrested by the Pakistani uh, ISI. and He's, as far as I know, still in prison. Maybe he might be dead even. So when you want to talk about trust and confidence, we've got to make sure that those people who are putting their lives on the line, such as the uh, interpreters and translators that work with me over in Afghanistan, we're protecting them. And I will tell you that I worked hard to get a couple of my former interpreter translators here into the United States of America. One of them uh, has a business now. Uh, last thing I checked, he was up in the Buffalo, New York area. And another one is uh, working down in Augusta, Georgia with his wife and his young son. And they're very appreciative of being here in the United States of America. So it's important that we don't lose that trust and confidence that people are putting in us.
2: Senator Corn came out in Texas. And he basically said to the president I was hoped to change him. I hope his tone would be a little different, but it never really changed, kinda of down on him and his chances of reelection. Can you put that in perspective and you being that he does have about a five point lead in most polls, was that really necessary?
10: You know, I'm not going to second guess the senator, you know, and I know President Trump personally because Mar-a-Lago, Trump International Jupiter, and Trump International West Palm Beach were in the congressional district that I was honored to represent down in Florida. So I've had interactions with the president at Mar-a-Lago and, of course, at the Trump Towers. The, president Trump is a person that fights uh president Trump is up from is from New York and uh they're a little bit different maybe from people uh where I grew up down in Georgia or maybe even some people here in Texas but the bottom line is that you' are waking up every day and the hyenas are out there chasing you and you're the big bad lion there's one or two things you can do: you can lay down and let the hyenas uh gnaw at you or you can strike back and I think president trump is President Trump has been very effective in fighting back against these hyenas and the in the media and everyone else that have been going at him since day one. And so I think that that needs to be appreciated. That needs to be put in perspective. And then on top of that, look at the policies and the results of his three uh, and a half years in office. It's indisputable what he has achieved.
2: I, you know, uh, I thought the Republicans were the converted, but Ben Sass and Senator Cornyn kind of threw me this week. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and you know, you're a military guy. Uh, he doesn't do everything the way the military did. It's not the way you were brought up, but you have to ex- accept people the way they are. I looked at Admiral McRaven, yeah. came out and endorsed Joe Biden. I look at General McChrystal, came out and endorsed Joe Biden. We know, I'm sure Mattis feels the same way, and Kelly will do it, but probably not publicly. Why do you think a lot of these officers, these generals, have such a problem with this president?
10: Uh, I can't understand that because really and truthfully, when you think about it, they are aligning themselves with a party that would decimate the oath that they took to the Constitution of the United States of America. Uh, I don't see how any military officer, senior military officer especially, could align themselves with a party that has embraced ANTIFA, which is a domestic terrorist group, uh, and enacting and domestic insurgencies uh, all across the United States of America, uh, anyone that would want to go back to the failed Obama-Biden policies that decimated our military. You know, I would say to these admirals that are endorsing, you know, Joe Biden, do they 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 really want to see our sailors on their knees again uh, at gunpoint with the Iranian Revolutionary Guard uh, coming in and and taking them. Uh, We don't want to see more of our uh, men and women under attack and uh, being abandoned in a combat zone by terrorists, such as we saw in Benghazi. And we don't want to see the rise of ISIS or any more of these other uh, uh, terrorist organizations. And we don't want to send billions of dollars to the number one sponsor of Islamic terrorism, which is Iran. So I would just ask these generals— to just do a little, you know, oath of enlistment, uh, oath of office gut check, uh, because obviously that oath never meant anything to you, and you're more so worried about political I know. Uh, achievement than anything else.
2: And you're a colonel, and you're an officer, and you spent decades in the military. I'm so disappointed because what they don't understand, and I, I really mean that they don't understand— this pe- this Pentagon budget's going to get gutted. How do you think you're going to retrofit all these buildings and make them AOC acceptable? How do you think you're going to handle this economy as it craters? Where's that money coming from? Right from the Pentagon. And my goodness, Admiral McRaven, the guy that turned said not to do the Bin Laden raid, is Joe Biden. You would not even would know your name if it wasn't for if Joe Biden had his way. Right. And bin Laden would still be out there. And who knows how many other Americans would be dead. And McChrystal would still have a commission if it wasn't for Joe Biden, because it was Joe Biden who he was so fed up with and his staff was so uh, had such little regard for who they were mocking in that Rolling Stone story. And they know he's a clown. Right. He might have some good points. But now when it comes to the military and foreign policy and that's Gates said that who's an ally of McChrystal and tried to save his job. And that's the guy you want to give the keys to because you don't like the president's tone. I don't get it. I thought they were thought they were whatever it takes people. Whatever it takes to be successful, I will do. What happened to that mentality?
10: Well, I don't know. And I think that that's something that a lot of us question, uh, you know, some of us former and some— uh, young officers who are still in. Think about this. I mean, you go back and you look at General Patton. General Patton did not have a personality that was lovable, but General Patton was a person that never lost a battle. And that's the type of person that you need when the going gets tough. You don't need someone that's going to speak in nice, soft tones or what have you. You want results. And if generals and the uh, and, and former admirals are worried about how someone, uh, their personality over the policies and their principles and yep. their values, especially when it comes to our military, then I, God help him. Uh, that's all I can say.
2: And by the way, guess who walked up to General Madison and said, we're pulling out of Iraq after he gave a whole half hour talk to him on what would happen if we left? Joe Biden. He called up the President Obama and said, we're pulling out. And they did. How did that go? ISIS is how it went. We almost lost Baghdad. Yeah. That's the genius that you want to give the keys to. The people in camouflage should be the smarter than anybody else behind a microphone or sitting in the sitting in, in, in an office. Around the country, and they're just thinking of tone, and I just don't get it. I find it endlessly frustrating if this election goes the way they want it to. Uh, Colonel, keep working hard.
10: I will. Thanks so much, Brian.
2: All right. When we come back, I'll take some of your calls 1 408 7669.
1: Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmead. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can
8: enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
6: This is something that the President of the United States needs to understand and the Republican Party needs to understand. This election is not going to turn on Hunter Biden. OK, this election is not going to turn on big tech covering up a Hunter Biden story. This is not the closing argument that Donald Trump wants to make in his last two weeks. It's not what he should be talking about. The, the Gallup poll shows that 56 percent of Americans say they're better off now than they were four years ago under Obama-Biden. But the RCP average shows only 42 percent plan to vote for Donald Trump. So that's a gap of about 14 percent of the electorate that is doing better because of Trump's policies, likes his policies, but are not happy with him. Personally, he needs to spend the last two weeks focused on winning those people over. Everything he says, every argument he makes should be focused on trying to convince those people to give him a second term because those are gettable votes.
2: I think that's a that's a solid strategy. Uh, and I think that Mark Tyson's as smart as anybody. Jerry was on WOKV. Hey, Jerry. Hey,
7: Brian, love your show, man. Um, I just want to thank you. You guys give us a platform, whether you agree with us or not. Which I'm a Democrat. Um, you, you let us say what we need to say, and I appreciate that. Um, I just don't see how the Hunter Biden story is going to do anything. I mean, literally, uh, Hunter Biden gave his laptop to a blind, legally blind guy, and the guy saw his emails. And then turned him into the FBI. Does that make any sense? And I don't trust Louie Giuliani as far as I can throw him. He's a little sniveling weasel.
10: See, but- Jerry,
2: Jerry. Fun thing. Um, I, if you don't, you know, if you have a problem with his background, he's great American. Uh, that's fine. And and but here's the thing: Adam Schiff doesn't trust him either. I think he actually did the right thing. He waited 45 days. The guy dropped the laptop off. He couldn't get him on the phone. And I don't know exactly how he got to looking at it, but after a certain amount of days, you can keep it. He looked at it, and they called the FBI. He didn't call the press. And I think that pretty much covers it. I I think the other question is, you might be right. It might not be enough time to really look at it and examine it, and the press doesn't want to. Well, if it was Don Jr., you know they would. But, Jerry, the other thing, to your point, it might not resonate, but I think it's a story. And I think he did the right thing. Call the FBI, then call Johnson's office, and then call uh, Senator Mike Lee's office. He didn't call the New York Post. Then he called Rudy, couldn't get him, called Rudy's lawyer. And then Rudy finally got around to looking at it and says, oh, my goodness, look at this. And then the question is, what was the FBI doing? Special thanks to everybody at WOKV. This is the hour they take live. I know you listen to three hours later on the night where we appreciate in Jacksonville, where people are lining up around the block to vote early. Keep it here. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to
1: Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Rich Lowry is going to be with us yet, a great deep-thinking conservative mind, National Review. And, of course, uh, Dr. Shelby Steele. I watched his documentary. Excuse me, that's uh, next hour, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Shelby Steele is going to be on. If you're listening to all three shows, you're getting the podcast today. He did a great documentary on race in America that you will not. It's uh, really eye-opening. Meanwhile, Barney & Company will do a simulcast at 50- So, you have a chance to see what I look like if you don't get Fox Nation, but you can see the show streamed all the time. So, uh, we're looking at so much uh, enthusiasm. Listen to this early voting has 31.7 million voters already, ballots counted in person or mailed in. 22.9% of the 2016 total have been cast already. Uh, Texas leads all, basically 5 million. California, second 3.5. And Florida has only been open a couple of days, already 2.5 million. And get this, Duval County, so valuable, 28,000 have already voted. President's going to be in Erie, Pennsylvania tonight. And Joe Biden will be nowhere, in his basement. Big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to to know, know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. She's at 2.2. OK. I would like to go—I would be willing to go more because I think that, number one, I view it differently. We get the money back. The government, it gets the money back ultimately anyway. And it's better than unemployment, and it's better than all of the other costs associated with the alternative. So I want to go bigger than that number.
2: And uh, the President of the United States, surprising many, when he told us on Fox & Friends today with cases uh, that he's going to go much bigger on a rescue package. Cases rise around the world as Europe wobbles back into a lockdown. How do we avoid this, be responsible, yet not crush the economy? And that will keep you up to date on the rescue package because Nancy Pelosi said on Sunday, 48 hours to get it done.
0: Number two,
4: brand new images obtained by Fox News's Mike Emanuel appear to show Hunter Biden's signature on a receipt for laptop repair. Fox News has not verified the signature is his, but Hunter's name also appearing in the bill to section, and it contains an email and cell phone belonging to Hunter.
2: I guess there's no Apple Store in Delaware. Avoidance is not a strategy, but it might just work for Joe Biden. The laptop left in Delaware repair shop looks more and more legit as Hunter's signature and the bill. Uh, as well as the bill and the paperwork for the FBI is front and center. Uh, bring it on, Adam Schiff.
5: Number one.
6: It would behoove the president to interrupt a little bit less. And then as for foreign policy, there is still one segment on the debate Thursday night for national security. And that, of course, is the window for President Trump to get into the various issues that he needs to get into.
2: Well, there you go, Ari Fischer. It would, have become, it would behoove the president to interrupt a little bit less, as he said. But guess what? Foreign policy would be a strength because it's a Joe Biden weakness. And there's still one segment on the debate stage on the set that will allow him to talk about foreign policy and the emails. And it's within national security. And, of course, is this the window for President Trump to get in what he wants to get in? Now we hear there are new rules when it comes to the debate. And that's one of the issues that is front and center. Let's bring in uh, Rich Lowry, editor of The National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism. Rich, welcome back.
9: Hey, how's it going, Brian?
2: So, Rich, the president very upset that they're going to be killing microphones on the two minutes that each have to speak. Are you?
9: No, I don't mind this. I actually thought it was a good idea watching the the, the first debate. They, they're supposed to have two minutes, so just give them the two minutes interrupted, you know, it's completely equal. They both can have their say, and then they're supposed to be, you know, I think it's fifteen minutes total, so then you get, well, I'm not good at math, Brian, what do you got eleven minutes or so after yeah. that where they can mix it up, and the mics shouldn't be muted, and the moderator shouldn't be muting any mics or anything like that. And that that will give ample time for exchange. So I, I don't mind it at all. Um, I, I just hope the President takes a lesson from what Mike Pence did to Kamala Harris really exposing the vulnerabilities of the Democratic economic program. Uh, I I think that's the the one key issue that still hasn't been exploited enough by the the president, most important issue in the election, and the one that he leads Biden on. So he really needs to emphasize that strength.
2: So here is uh, Trump on, on his strategy, cut four.
9: Well,
3: I may do that. Actually, the interesting thing, they said, if you let him talk, he'll lose his chain of thought because he's gonzo. And I understand that, but I also understand that as he's going down the line and issuing lies, (coughs) you know, generally it's okay to... You know, really attack that. But but there is a chain of thought that, you know, there are, there are a lot of people that say, let him talk because he loses his his uh, train. I he mean, he loses his train. He loses his mind,
2: frankly. He's going to raise taxes on those horrible people that make over $400,000, but it's going to trickle down when you look at the total packet policy and you look at what he's spending it on, Rich. He wants free college. Really? Okay, fantastic. He also wants to work towards free, free, free school. Well, that's interesting. And now he wants to get $15 minimum wage. Really? To those small businesses that can barely make ends meet? Are they gonna be hiring yeah. many people if they're forced to pay the lowest rung fifteen dollars? Is that savvy? And then if you're gonna retrofit uh, uh every building and make it environmentally friendly, that money's coming right from the Pentagon.
9: Yeah, no, no, of course. And it's it's kind of a watered down version. It's not the full Bernie Sanders, it's sh- short of that, but it's a watered down Bernie Sanders and directionally it's it's heading exactly the same place. So this is something the president just needs to hammer home, and that clip you just played of the president, I think that's right about the first debate. There, there were times when I think Biden was going to expose himself, not necessarily lose his train of thought, but just prove that he didn't have a good answer on something, and th- the president didn't let it breathe enough. You know, you're know, you a TV guy. You know sometimes you just need to let a guest uh, flounder, and he, he wouldn't do that because he was interrupting so much. So, so hopefully you know, he needs to be strong and aggressive and try to change the trajectory of the race but uh, he doesn't want to oversauce the goose.
2: Well, do you believe he's trailing
9: right now? I do. Yeah, I I don't know by how much. Um but my my thought has always been he needs to get within range and, you know, w- w- what exactly that is? You know, 3 points in, if he's down 3 points in Pennsylvania on going into election day in the polls. I don't think you have any confidence he's going to lose Pennsylvania. Um, but I, I think it's just a little bit out, out, outside the range, and he needs to get closer.
2: And I think, I think these rallies work. They kind of ripple through the community after he leaves. I, I'm amazed by one thing, Rich, whether he wins or loses. I've never seen so much non-central generated rallies, whether it's a flotilla, whether it's bikes, or whether it's cars, or whether it's just settings where they get up and hold up signs for the president. I mean, I'm watching a 60-mile road in Long Island go out to Montauk, 60 miles. Then I'm seeing this happen in New Jersey. He's not going to win either one of those states, you wouldn't think. And what's happening in Florida and these boats are laced together. Now, this is not a president that actually has very little happen and most things go right, like let's say you would say Eisenhower perhaps. This is, every day there's a new calamity. Yeah. But yet <laughs> but he hasn't lost much.
9: Well, the the enthusiasm of the base is still there, and this is why even if he's trailing in all these polls, I don't think he can count them out because you get towards the end. You get a little polling era, You get a little kind of shy Trump voters who didn't want to talk to pollsters, scared to talk to pollsters. You get uh, a, a max max turnout. And, and and a little turn towards him uh, towards the end. You know, some Republicans have been skeptical of him coming home. Right. And he could do it. You know, I I don't think he's, he's not blowing Joe Biden out. It's going to be a few wins. It's going to be a real nail nail biter. Another narrow victory like 2016. But there, you can't discount that possibility. So
2: the president had a little bit of a squabble with Anthony Fauci yesterday because Fauci seems to do an interview and take a shot at the president, whether it's unwittingly or not. And he watched him on 60 Minutes, and he basically said, this guy's been wrong so often, I keep him around because he's been around for 300 years. David Axelrod saw that and just can't believe, why, can't believe he went after a popular guy like these scientists who looks like Phil Rizzuto. Cut 12. I've spoken to people on both sides uh, today, and everybody agrees uh, that this is an insane strategy. And it's not just fighting with Fauci. He went to Michigan, a, a state that is among those that David described as
11: the old blue wall. Uh, and he attacks the governor who was uh,
2: targeted in a kidnapping by by terrorists, essentially, domestic terrorists. And he makes light of that. He goes to Wisconsin, a state that has 20,000 new cases in the past week, and he talks down the coronavirus. And then today he spent the
4: day campaigning against Fauci. And that's the fight he wants to pick two weeks before the election. It is nuts.
2: You could just see traditional, traditional strategists can't figure out, number one, how he got the nomination, how he won, and how he's still going. There's no logic to
9: it. Well, first of all, saying someone looks like Phil Rizzuto, that that's like a, a great thing for me, Brian, as, as an old Yankee fan. Right, that, and the money store.
2: they people trusted him.
9: <laughs> I too don't don't think it makes a lot of sense to to get in this war of words with Fauci. I don't know why Fauci is on TV so much. You know, he actually does important work behind the scenes, uh, and you know, has been an important player in this vaccine effort, which could be a, a historic achievement just to. To you know, within a year, basically, to get a, get a vaccine that might really knock this this pandemic down, and I, I also don't think it makes sense for the president to you know talk down masks. And I, I know one of his his key ads they they have up last day or two, shows him in a mask. So masks are popular. There's just, there's just no no need to fight that fight. You know, and and this is this is one of my frustrations with Trump. I just think there's so many good issues for him to focus on that he could focus on in his inimitable way a way that's compelling and that connects with people that, that I, I do consider these other things distractions.
2: Rich, i got to talk to you again as we get closer. Of course, after the debate would be awesome, too. Rich Lowry's got a great book out. Uh, it's called The Case for Nationalism. The paperback is coming out in November, so a couple of weeks. He's also editor of National Review. Rich, thanks.
9: Hey, thanks, Brian. Take care.
2: All right. Listen, when we come back, Ken Cuccinelli joins us, acting deputy director of the Department of Homeland Security. And then we got a little bit of a break. Impractical Joker superstar James Murray has something important to say.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade new from the fox news podcasts
8: network
0: my name is kennedy and welcome to my podcast which will i humbly say single-handedly save the world you're welcome
8: it's kennedy saves the world subscribe and listen now by going to FoxnewsPodcasts.com.
1: he's so busy he'll make your head spin it's brian kilmeade
0: there is, no, there is, in fact, no evidence of widespread fraud, and you are sowing doubt about our democracy, you, how, how our democracy. How
3: can you say that? You do read newspapers. I do. You do watch the news. Yes, I know you read the I news, do. but you watch it. I do. Because every day, they're talking about ballots that are corrupt, that are fraudulent.
0: And millions that are, are sure. being processed right sure. now. Sure,
3: but you can win a race. Take a look at me. You can win a race by 1%. But
2: and he did in a bunch of states. Why does she find that so unbelievable? The stories are nonstop. Ken Cuccinelli, acting deputy director of the Department of Homeland Security, joins us now. Uh, Ken, were you surprised that she was surprised that there were problems with ballots?
12: <laughs> well, as the president said, I mean, you can read about localized problems, whether it's, you know, Pennsylvania or Kentucky, you got. Individual people ditching ballots so far it's all localized, so that's all good, but the, to the president's point in a close race, as he should, he respects every vote, every vote counts, and um, as he's pushed us to do at DHS is he wants Americans deciding these elections, and that doesn't happen if your your vote gets pitched in a ditch somewhere. So uh, that's been a priority for the president, for the Department of Homeland Security, and for CISA, our agency that's on point for all this.
2: So let's talk about this H-1B visas. Who is that really targeting, and why have you curtailed it?
12: So H-1B visas, for your listeners, are for high-tech workers, and they were originally supposed to be for high-tech workers that are so valuable that you can't find Americans who do this work. And they've gradually become uh, sort of a filler, an IT filler and especially. And um, they've undercut American wages, and they've done a lot of other things that have hurt American workers, middle-class workers, I would, I would call them. And the president isn't standing for that. Um, He first, because of the COVID job problems, the unemployment, stopped the entry of any of these workers into the country for the rest of 2020, and we recently, at his insistence, um, issued a regulation that will stop sort of what, what I call body shops just companies that are set up that overwhelmingly just bring in these workers and then subcontract them to other companies. And these are the stories you hear, Brian, like the most famous being Disney workers having to train their replacements uh, this happened at AT&T right. not too long ago, and this is the massive loophole that these companies have been exploiting, and the president had us, has us shutting that down. And At the same time, he also has the Department of Labor substantially raising the wages of these high-tech workers who do come in, and that has two effects. One, it makes companies really just bring in people who are valuable to the company, and two— um, it stops them from undercutting American workers. So it raises wa- raises American wages. My tongue's tied a little bit. And it also um, creates more work opportunities for Americans. So it's great all around for American citizens and the American economy.
2: So, uh, Ken, is there, a, is, there a, um, is there a place for our college kids to come here from other countries that we train for them to have an easier path to stay?
12: So uh, H-1B is a traditional one, Uh, there is another, it's called OPT, Optional Practical Training, which is really a regulatory creation um, that uh, allows foreign students who have graduated from U.S. schools to stay here for anywhere from one to three years, Uh, sometimes uh, renewable because that happens for every degree they get. So some people sort of game it and just keep getting degrees and keep (laughs) renewing those work permits, and they don't have to. Those companies don't have to show that they can't hire an American. So, one of the challenges there is that um, this is uh, this is direct competition with American college graduates, and it's something where we're cracking down from an enforcement standpoint on uh, people abusing this program. And uh, you'll hear more news from us on that coming soon um, as well. So that's that's a big deal to us, um, and uh, the president's taken given some instructions to. Tighten that up as well. There's also litigation about it.
2: Right. There's, uh, there are these people in the field in these horrible places like Somalia, Sudan, with terrorism-run rampant in Iraq, uh, in Syria, and they become fixers, and they help our men and women who fight and now we understand that they're having no success becoming into, coming into this country as refugees even though people are going to test for their loyalty and they can't go home because they're now persona non grata because they turned and sided with us. Is there a way to address their needs?
12: So in the president's refugee allotment every year, he has set aside several thousand slots for these folks. And um, last year, uh, only a few hundred came in, and, uh, you know, we're processing them as you might imagine, the security checks are pretty tough in these types of circumstances because while there are people that fit the description you just described, Brian, there's also people who try to use this pipeline to come into the country who do not fit that description and who are not necessarily friendly to the United States. And so our security vetting, mm-hmm. something this president has talked a lot about, um, is very strong. And the fact is, it takes some time to be able to do that in an uncertain environment. So the president's first Priority is protecting Americans and, and America. Uh, you'll recall that four years ago, for instance, in 2016, just Syrians were coming in like crazy over the transom, if you will, without much in the way of security checks, and, and we've had some problems with that kind of an approach uh, from. Gotcha. Uh, from Le- a public. Leslie, how
2: many miles by. do you have built of the wall, Ken?
12: Uh, we are over 371 and counting. We're probably at around 373 as of today. We're moving along at about 10 miles a week. So uh, we're going to hit 400 in the beginning of uh, beginning of November. Nice. And, uh, and we'll roll on to f- at least 450 for the year, assuming we don't get court interference. you the courts like to can't try thank to interfere. you enough. I appreciate hey, good
2: to it. to be with you, Brian. All right. Uh, up is, uh, updating us on Homeland Security, James Murray next.
1: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: But the plague came in, we closed it down, saved millions of lives, and now we've opened it up. And we don't only have a V, we have a super V. And that's why, that's why we're going to have a V-shaped recovery, a deep V, with rippling pecs and a toned eight pack, a swimmer's body, basically, like I have after
2: COVID. And it's going to be beautiful.
0: The question was, why won't you release your taxes?
2: Right. Uh, That was the mildly funny SNL yesterday. Uh, And also, I don't know about you, but I'm not finding the Joe Biden imitation funny at all. James Murray Murray is always funny, writer, executive producer of the hit show Impractical Jokers. Uh, Never based on a true story, always pretending to be doing something, but they always embarrass themselves, which is, by the way, uh, why the show is so great. Uh, James is also busy with the Misery Index on TBS. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Don't Move. And he was not going to talk until I gave him the book plug. So now it's safe, Murr, for you to talk.
13: Finally, I can say a word. Thank God. (laughs)
2: What's up, Brian? How are you, buddy? How does a guy like who thrives on crowds and people, in Impractical Jokers, go to public places where there are no people and try to do a show? You can't even do a show.
13: I'll tell you what. We started filming Jokers again about a
2: month ago. No
13: joke. You did? figure out a way to do it. We figured out how to do it, and the first episodes have come in, and they're hysterical. It's, you know, it's there are ways to do it. We just have to change the show, and uh, and we're changing it, and we're back in production finally.
2: So, what a second. Do you do you mock the fact that people have to stay six feet apart and wear masks? No,
13: you know, it's it, what we do is we you know somebody signs up for a focus group, we COVID test them before they come in. We're tested every single day on set. And then you're fine. You know what I mean? So we've right. been doing it like that and we've been able to produce the show still. But we're we're doing challenges that are like distance naturally. Like we did one where we're kind of like a, we're sitting in our backyard on a balcony talking down to people that are uh, that are working in the yard. And they're there hired for the day to work in the yard and like stuff like that. It's just inherently funny physically too. that dynamic of us on a balcony coming out and embarrassing ourselves.
2: It's great. I know you were complaining to me that so much of the show depends on you. It's a lot of pressure because the other guys are just there for the ride. Do you still feel that way? I, I'm, I'm more than
13: ever. More than ever. <laughs> it's clear. I, my back has been hurting from carrying them for so many years at right. this point.
2: And a lot of times you'll tell me stuff in confidence, and I won't keep that confidence. Does that bother you?
13: No, I actually prefer it. That's why I tell you. I'm kind of leaking it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're using me. How dare you? I'm
13: kind of using you.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: So uh, I always consider, James, I think you got one of the most natural, uh, great senses of humor. And I saw Bill Burr on SNL two weeks ago, and he was out mocking the fact that we're in an incredible time right now where everyone's getting offended for everything, especially your show, must have to change to go on with the new cancel culture. And listen to a little bit of what got him—I uh, don't think he cares personally, but got him in the middle of controversy.
13: How stupid is that cancel thing? They're literally running out of people to cancel. They're going after dead people now. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. It's like, yeah, dude, God did that 40 years ago. (laughs) They're all up in arms. They're like, did you hear what he said in that interview in Playboy in 1970? Can you believe that? It's like, yeah. He was born in 1907. (laughs) That's what these people sounded like.
6: You never talked to your grandparents and brought up the wrong subject. And all of a sudden it went off the rails.
0: Oh, man. just keep making the cookies.
2: Right. So race, cancel culture, uh, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy. It doesn't matter. He capsules it. Don't we need comedians to do that stuff? Are you still allowed to do that stuff? Are you guys worried when you're in editing with Impractical Jokers? Oh, my goodness. Did I offend anybody?
13: Uh, it's, interesting. it's an interesting question because obviously our show lives in the space where yeah. we push each other to the edge of acceptability. I, I think what makes our show different or special is that you can see us trying to figure out whether we can get away with something. And then we often pull away from the edge because we, we just don't have the nerve or courage to do it. And, and I think uh, at the end of the day, that keeps the show different from others on TV because it keeps us – likable, but it also keeps us almost like a, an island of positivity in what can be a crazy cynical world, you know?
2: Right. Oh, I think it could be a crazy cynical world. What have you done with any idle time you may have had for the first time in maybe 20 years?
13: I'll tell you what, Brian, I got married. I just came back from my honeymoon. Uh, I, I, I mean, it was a, a much different wedding than I thought. It obviously right. we had one quarter of the list, but just got married a few weeks ago. And uh, obviously we wrote Don't Move, uh, which comes out today, uh, which is a very scary thriller set in the woods of West Virginia about a church group from the Bronx that wanders into the wrong woods on their annual summer camping trip. Uh, You will love it. It's so scary. So we wrote a new book uh, that you're going to love, Perfect for Halloween and and uh, and that's uh, and now we're back in production again and we're doing Dinner Party and uh,
2: miser Index again. So, so tell me about uh, uh, real quick, you have a, the book I want to learn a little bit more about because you have a virtual signing tonight vir- virtual book launch, which I don't know how you do it, but you and Hannity have done the same thing Steve Ducey was telling me too, I don't get how it works, but from 5.30 to 7 if uh, people go to meetmur.com we could find out how to join you on your virtual book launch? Yeah,
13: you know it's just just costs one book. You get an autographed copy of the book and a ticket to the virtual Zoom book launch from my backyard, where we have celebrity guests uh, joining us. We have uh, prizes and giveaways, and it's a lot of fun. It's like a party. It actually works even better than a regular book launch because you have people from all over the world joining. You know, so we have a thousand different people joining the broad- the broadcast, and it's a great fun.
2: So you have an international following, right?
13: Yeah, you know the show plays around the
2: world. <laughs> oh, wow, that's fantastic! So, what kind of celebrities will we see there? Would it be Bruce Springsteen? Will it be someone <laughs> bigger than Bruce Springsteen? I,
13: I, I'm hoping bigger. I'm hoping bigger. We're going to see. I mean, uh, I've heard Will Smith uh, is not going to be there. But but he won't. Okay, good. <laughs> he won't. No, I've heard he's not going to be there. To be clear, but right uh, now, you know, you might recognize a couple of people joining from from television.
2: Okay. As long as it's yeah. the impractical jokers, I think that's as big as it gets, at least in my house. <laughs> yeah. but, so, Mur, the other thing to bring up, tell me about the the dinner party.
13: Dinner party was a is a brand new TV show. It started this summer while in quarantine. Uh, the guys and I missed each other, to be honest, and we're you know we're we're you know Italians that like eating dinner together. So we said, how do we keep having dinner together? So we created an impractical jokers dinner party. Every Thursday night, we have dinner together on Zoom and it's hysterically funny. You different celebrity guest each episode. And uh we just did another 10 episodes. It starts up next week on True again, uh the second 10 episodes. And uh and and then tonight starts The Misery Index, a brand new season of that on TBS as well.
2: And you're still married through all this? Is your wife like, "Listen, you're just too now you're too productive?" She 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 needs
13: me to stay busy because otherwise I'll drive her crazy.
2: Right. You know? Already?
13: The busier I am the better it is. Yeah, you, well, cuz we got what what kind of engaged couple gets thrust into living together 24 hours a day 7 days a week for 7 months straight that's incredible you know?
2: i know so you know what's amazing i was not i wasn't on the expanded list or the pared down list for the for the attendees of the wedding
13: you you were on an extended list you were maybe We'll see. It depends on what kind of gift you were going to give me. I was going to ask you kind of off the cuff what you were planning on, Mar- and then that would determine your invite.
2: I know. I thought that was kind of odd and a little tacky. But I also think it's important. Sometimes people can't make it, and you need an alternate list. I'd be happy to be on the alternate list. If there was seven cancellations, kill me, you're in.
13: You're like my DH, my designated hitter, right? I bring you in for, yeah, I got it. Okay.
2: Just to be eligible for the gift. So for your next marriage, should there be one, would I have a shot? <laughs>
13: I have to tell my wife not to listen to this broadcast right now. <laughs> All
2: right, Mara, <laughs> listen. not
13: be another broadcast, Bry. I promise
5: you. There I understand. Not, not okay. I, I understand.
2: Yep. So go to meetmur.com Find out more information. Uh, also, uh, your virtual book signing is from 530 till 7. You can also watch yep. the Misery Index on TBS. And the dinner party on? Uh,
13: it's on True TV starting next Thursday.
2: And, and one last thing. You left me in the woods in West Virginia. Can you tell me yeah. a little bit more about the, about the storyline?
13: Sure. Uh, so this church group goes on their annual summer camping trip to West Virginia. they wander wandered in the wrong woods because in these woods is this terrifying prehistoric arachnid that lives in the treetops that can sense any vibration in the forest and can hunt down and kill you that way. And the only way out of the forest is a Class 5 Rapids River, but the church group has no boat. And that's how the book begins.
2: Wow. All right. I love it. And the last thing, Murray, have you thought about coming to the city? Have you noticed that it doesn't look anything like it used to and that, uh, someone told the people to leave?
13: I, I did. I noticed it. I, I got rid of my apartment in the city, you know, I was living downtown. And when we went back in uh, maybe May or April uh, or June, when we realized this was not stopping. It was different. It was spooky. It really was. My building was 50% empty, uh, the high-rise I lived in. Uh, it was a little scary, and I lived next to um, uh, Beekman Hospital downtown, uh, and that, well, that was spooky too, seeing that. But um, I've never been uh, more happy to be uh, in Princeton, New Jersey, you know?
2: I understand. Sure. I do. Yeah. I, I kiss the ground every time I get out of the city to Long Island, and I realize I did survive another day. James Murray, thanks so much. Congratulations on Don't Move. Thank you, my friend. I miss you. I hope to see you soon. Okay. All right. Well, when we're allowed, when Governor Cuomo says we can see people and smile again, I will do it. Not until then. (laughs) He is my idol. Thank Thank you you, so much. Hey, when we come back, I'm going to be go to the Stuart Varney show. Uh, You know, see us on Fox Nation. We'll simulcast the radio show with FBN. This is the Brian Kilmeade show.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Barney & Company with Stuart Varney Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hi, right, welcome back, everybody. Always thrilled to go on uh, FBN, the fastest-growing cable channel in the country, and the number one news show in the country, Stuart Varney, Barney, Barney & Company. You're watching them right now. In a couple of minutes, we're going to tackle a couple of topics, and then I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the back end. So let's listen in together.
11: 51 On the dot, we're very precise here. That means the man on the right-hand side of your screen, Brian Kilmeade, is on with me now. All right, Brian, let's get on with this. I want to start with the Supreme Court, which has allowed Pennsylvania to receive ballots after Election Day. Seems to me that absolutely guarantees chaos in a swing state. What say you?
2: Well, here's a couple of things. Just so you know, it's 4-4, but John Roberts cast the fourth vote, so it tied in a deadlock, Republican placed there by George Bush. So 4-4 in the Supreme Court goes to the lower court, so it means they can extend past Election Day. Now, keep in mind, it's got to be post-dated before. It's not as if they can be November 4th or 5th, so I get that. I'm less worried about Pennsylvania as I was worried about Michigan and some of the others that allowed. Michigan wanted to do 14 days, 14 days postmark. What is this, Pony Express? It's going to take that long if you stamp an envelope predated before November 3rd to get there. That just opens up uh, questions about an election. But it does worry me, and Pennsylvania could make or break this election. As you know, the president, Stewart, goes there today. Erie, Pennsylvania, a place that he's just slightly ahead of. uh, Perhaps he has a slight lead, but he can't lose that lead. And Pennsylvania, he picked up two points in most polls. So I think that he's closing the gap similar to 2016 there.
11: Okay, he is closing the gap, just closing the gap. But he's got a very limited amount of time, two weeks, to really close that gap down. It's now or never to close that gap, Brian.
2: I think he's doing it. At least he really thinks he's doing it. You know, he joins us on Fox & Friends today. I've been reading and listening to some of the accounts yesterday on with donors. And he's so pumped up by the crowds he sees, not only the ones at on his events, but the ones that line up to can't get into his events, that just want to see the car drive by. How is it that a president with supposedly 42% approval can have people putting together boats for flotillas in places he doesn't normally win to line up five deep in Newport Beach, California, just to see his car go by to go to a fundraiser? Why am I watching cars line up in Seaford, Long Island, go all the way out to Montauk, and then deliver food to a food bank? Why am I watching them come into Fifth Avenue in New York City? Why am I hearing about IN NEW JERSEY, IN MY LIFETIME, I'VE SEEN MORE POPULAR PRESIDENTS, BUT I'VE NEVER SEEN MORE PASSION FOR A PRESIDENT. AND THAT JUST MIGHT BE THE FORMULA THAT MAKES THESE POLLS uh, SOMEWHAT CLOSER THAN WE'VE SEEN. BUT THE TROUBLE IS, BRIAN, MOST PEOPLE DON'T SEE THE
11: FLOTILLAS AND THE PARADES AND THE PRO- TRUMP STUFF. THEY DON'T SEE IT BECAUSE IT'S NOT IN THE MEDIA. DO YOU THINK THE MEDIA IS GOING TO COVER THAT KIND OF THING? THEY DON'T. THEY DISMISS IT. IT'S A FORM OF NEGATING FREE speech. I've never seen anything like it before. The media is universally hating Donald Trump. And I think that's a, a, it's a terrible thing for our country.
2: You know, in, in America, the one thing we like is underdogs. And we don't, when we think the cards are stacked uh, unfairly against somebody, whether it's a president or a starting running back, they will, uh, they will act. And maybe they see that again. And maybe the president's more comfortable as the underdog, the one who's supposed to beat the odds again. I really sense there's an optimism, in him. talking to him for 45 minutes today. I really believe that he believes he's got something going on. Put it this way, with the pandemic going on, with the risks that are out there, no one in America or around the world needs to be educated. Six feet, wear a mask, wash your hands. Got it. Understood it. You've been saying the same thing for seven months. They're saying, I'm putting on a mask. I'm going to stay away, but I'm showing up for this president. And that, to me, shows great gumption and drive that it matters. And I just think you're going to see big crowds. The other thing that people appreciate, Stu, and I know you do, is one of the hardest working people I've ever met. They like people (laughs) that actually work. You know what he's saying? Don't give it to me. I'm not going to sit in the Oval Office and say, if you don't reelect me, it's your problem. I will outwork you. He's doing between two and five events a day for the last 14 days. Last week, he did seven. Biden did two. Biden hasn't worked since Sunday night for 15 minutes in front of nine cars at a drive-in. I'm not kidding. He's taking off until Friday. He did 60 minutes today that airs Sunday. Americans like people that want to earn their vote. You cannot say that he's taking anything for granted. You, you can't hole
11: up in your basement, um, run away from questions and any possible gaffes, and say that you're an actively seeking the president. And I will say this, this to you and your
2: show and your audience. If Go. I ever decide to run for office, my son will give up all his Romanian, Ukrainian, and Chinese international business deals. I pledge that to you, and I'm going to ask him as a favor just to stop trading on my name. <laughs>
11: <laughs> Kill me, you leave me speechless. But uh, that was pretty good, I got to say. Brian, thank you very much indeed, sir. We right. will see you again soon. Thank get you. 1
2: 866 408 7669. Adam's listening over in Queens on WABC. Adam.
5: Hey, Brian. Good morning. Sorry about the misconnection yesterday. Just wanted to say uh, thanks for uh, doing what you do out here because uh, it matters, right? Pennsylvania changing their election laws in the election year to allow postmarked. It was very narrowly decided in 2016. It's going to be that narrow again because there's this element of insanity out there that thinks somehow Biden-Harris has anything positive for the country. The Trump train is moving. It's rolling along. It's gaining steam. And he is back stronger and better than ever. He's got these rallies going that are just massive. And uh, the the movement's real, right? It's not on the Democrats. Adam, no, question. It's 100% on... Go ahead. But
2: you're in New York. He's trailing by the sailor. He lost New York by 20 points. But I'm watching these caravans. I'm watching this passion. I see how empty New York City is. I know what upstate always belonged to him. Should he try for New York? Should he do a couple appearances here?
5: Absolutely. This state is ready to go red. If you haven't seen Max Rose in Staten Island, a congressman who flipped Dan Donovan's seat from red to blue... Is got some ads running on local television here that are paid for by the the Democratic uh, congressional whatever it is for. It's pretty much Pelosi is paying for his ads. There are opposing ads that show all local New Yorkers, and it ends with a Staten Island woman saying, "Max Rose is a bleeping fraud." Yeah. So yeah. that's literally how the ad is presented. And when you see that version of New mm-hmm. York which represents just, you know, one yeah. of the five. and you know Staten
2: Island, is. and Adam, i got to stop you there, but that Staten Island will go for him too. So, hey, why not? Give it a shot, Mr. President.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Thanks Brian so much for listening Kill Me. to the Brian
2: Kilmeade show. This hour, we're going to be thrilled to be joined by Dr. Shelby Steele. He's got a great documentary out about what killed Michael Brown and just about race in America from his perspective. He's seen it all, lived it all, and he just—I mean—I can't tell you enough great things about uh, what a great. Uh, what a great documentary it is and how eye-opening it was for me. Burgess Owens will be with us, former Super Bowl champ Jet and Raider, who now wants to be the next congressman from the 4th District, which was once Mia Love's place. Uh, she lost a nail-biter, uh, need extra innings, but he, she, was, she had to lose, and she went to CNN for a while. Burgess thinks he can get that back. He'll be with us shortly. Uh, and also, keep in mind, this is a really hot election. In case you don't know, you listen to our show anyway. As we come to you from New York, I talked to the president about this today. Maybe, Eric, we could pull this. I asked him at the end of the interview, with all these flotillas, with all these parades, with the one even to Fifth Avenue in front of your place, do you think you can win New York? And even though his aides are telling him no, I know for a fact he thinks he can. If you think about Staten Island, upstate New York, uh, and Long Island, and with everyone leaving New York City that doesn't like him, I'm wondering if he actually can. And you talk about throwing this election on its head, that would do it. Early voting, 31 million already voted, and that is uh, 22% of the entire electorate from 2016. Texas leads all with early voting with 4 million. California, 3.5. In two days, Florida, 2.5 million, including 28,000 in Duval County. The president will be at the Make America Great Again rally in Erie, Pennsylvania. But right now, let's get to our big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big
3: Three. Number three. She's a 2.2. Okay. And I would like to go, I would be willing to go more because I think that, number one, I view it differently. We get the money back, the government, it gets the money back ultimately anyway. And it's better than unemployment and it's better than all of the other costs associated with the alternative. So I want to go bigger than that number.
2: And the hope is to put that money into the system because so many people, especially in the hospitality airline industry, are flat on their backs. COVID-19. Cases rise around the world as Europe wobbles back into a lockdown. How do we avoid this, be responsible, and yet not crush the economy? Plus, as the president mentioned, the rescue package has new momentum. I now believe something will get done. Let's see what the market believes.
0: Number two,
4: brand new images obtained by Fox News's Mike Emanuel appear to show Hunter Biden's signature on a receipt for laptop repair. Fox News has not verified the signature is his, but Hunter's name also appearing in the bill to section, and it contains an email and cell phone belonging to Hunter. Wow,
2: well, avoidance is not a strategy, but it might just work. The laptop left in Delaware repair shop looks more and more legit. AS HUNTER'S SIGNATURE IS ON THE BILL, AND PAPERWORK SHOWS THE FBI DID IN FACT PICK IT UP FROM THE OWNER. MORE emails REVEAL ON SETTLING DEALS IN UKRAINE, CHINA, AND NOW ROMANIA? CAN JOE CONTINUE TO SAY, I DON'T KNOW, IT'S A SMEAR CAMPAIGN? I THINK IT'S A GAME CHANGER. BUT IS IT A VOTE CHANGER?
5: NUMBER ONE.
6: IT WOULD BEHOOVE THE PRESIDENT TO INTERRUPT A LITTLE BIT LESS. AND THEN AS FOR FOREIGN POLICY, THERE IS STILL ONE SEGMENT ON THE DEBATE THURSDAY NIGHT FOR NATIONAL SECURITY. And that, of course, is the window for President Trump to get into the various issues that he needs to get into.
2: Uh, That is correct. It would be behoove the president to not interrupt as much. On foreign policy, man, is Joe Biden vulnerable. And there's still one segment on the debate Thursday night for national security. And that, of course, is the window for the president to talk a little bit about Hunter. So when you talk about Joe Biden's foreign policy, let's take a look. Does anyone ever ask him about the Libya policy? Let's kill Qaddafi and have no plan and just let that become a terror haven that Russians now have influence in? Did anyone ever tell you, uh, Joe Biden, it was your deal or remind you it was your idea to pull everybody out of Iraq precipitously, leaving it to this terror group called ISIS, which your president called, uh, President Obama, called the JV team, which is still plaguing the region and beheaded Americans? Did he tell you about the refusal to back up the red line if you use chemical weapons and what that did to our prestige in the region? Did we talk about China militarizing and making two islands, even though they said they wouldn't? These are some of the things that make Joe Biden very vulnerable on the national stage. And Bob Gates said he's been wrong about every national, national security and foreign policy decision over the last 40 years in the U.S. that he's witnessed. And that's the guy that General McRaven and General McChrystal want to make president? I don't get it. Do you understand if he implements the policies that he says he would? It's gutting the Pentagon because there's nowhere else to go for money. And they've never been big on defense anyway. They think they overspend anyway. So Donald Trump was on Fox and Friends today, and he can't believe that Joe Biden is hiding. Cut one.
3: Well, a lot of things, it's just going very well. I think he's imploding. You look at all the corruption in his family, it's tremendous corruption nobody's ever seen. I mean, that laptop, nobody has ever seen anything like that. He's gone into hiding. He's done the lid again. He's been there for a long time, and uh, things are changing fast, and the numbers at the polls are looking really good, really, he, really good.
2: Here's what the president's saying, and he absolutely is empirical. This is, this is uh, undeniable. They have a ground game, and the Democrats decided not to have one because of the pandemic. They have registered more people in these battleground states of Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Arizona than Democrats have. And their passion for white Americans without a college education is above where it was last time, where they got to make up, according to these polls, are suburban women. See, we know what the polls say. But we know what the poll said last time, too. When it comes to the debate, it's going to mean a lot, I believe. The president could keep his cool, actually enjoy himself. Let Joe Biden try to back up his policies that someone wrote for him, that he now has to move to the left where he's not even comfortable, so reportedly, and where he's got to push back on Bernie Sanders and others who have every intention of pushing this country over the edge. Now we have a debate where they're going to be killing mics when you're not speaking in those two minutes. I actually don't think it's bad in the long run. What makes people uneasy is no one was consulted on it. And you have Kristen Welker, who has got a long history with the Democratic Party, whose dad's big donors, and now she's going to be the moderator. So Tim Murtaugh was on last night on Fox News at Night with the great Shannon Bream and said this, cut five.
14: Well, I think that's an awful lot of power to give some member of the staff of the commission. We know that the commission is biased against the president, biased in favor of Joe Biden. And But, you know, that's fine. The president is going to show up in debate. We're used to this sort of thing from the debate commission. They've been bending over backwards to make things easy for Joe Biden the whole time. They don't want Joe Biden to have to face tough questions, and they don't want him to have to face scrutiny. That's why you see the, the news media today, Joe Biden, this story broke in the New York in the New York Post. NEARLY A WEEK AGO NOW, AND NO ONE HAS YET BEEN ABLE TO PUT THIS QUESTION DIRECTLY TO JOE BIDEN, EXCEPT IN A, a SHOUTED MANNER WHERE HE JUST mm-hmm. just BRUSHES IT OFF AND REALLY, FRANKLY, REFUSES TO ANSWER IT. THE OTHER DAY, WHEN HE WAS IN NORTH CAROLINA, THE FIRST QUESTION THE MEDIA ASKED HIM WAS, WHAT FLAVOR MILKSHAKE DID YOU GET? SO mm-hmm. I DON'T THINK WE CAN EXPECT WE DIDN'T SEE GEORGE Stephanopoulos ASK HIM THIS QUESTION IN THE TOWN HALL LAST WEEK. IT'S GOING TO BE LEFT TO PRESIDENT TRUMP TO ASK THE QUESTION OF JOE BIDEN.
2: And it will be, and I'm sure he'll do it. Just do it within the format, and if the moderator breaks in, run right over uh, verbally. So we were lucky enough to have Frank Farenkopf on with us in the first, very first segment of the first hour of today's show. You know who he is? He's chairman of the Debate Commission. So we asked him about the decision on Welker. We asked him the decision on Scully. We also asked about the decision to kill the mics while one was talking. Listen.
7: Uh, first of all, it's not a new rule. The, the campaigns agreed early on, going back to June of this year, when we he announced like that, what right? the he formats were going to be for the campaigns, uh, for, for the debates, and they both agreed to live with it. It provides very clearly that the first four minutes on each of the six segments, each candidate gets to speak for two minutes without interruption. So that's the rule, and it's, that's been the rule. But now, you but you never killed audio, rule. though. Right? No, no, we have never, we have never killed audio. And they, but the, what happened in the last debate is they both violated that rule. That that's what they agreed to.
2: And they did. They both interrupted each other like crazy. I don't think that, that Joe Biden got enough guff for what he did constantly. And then he would stop answering the question when he was interrupted with one word and just would say, "What do you call him a clown?" He called him some other disparaging terms. And then later, um, uh, never got any feedback at all on that. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I don't want to take too much time away from Burgess Owens, but I also thought Frank Ferenkopf tackled that, tackled the moderator, and tackled the issue on foreign policy. He said that I never promised foreign policy on this debate. He said that's just not true. When I pointed out the Mitt Romney debate, the Russia question, he said that just happened to be one of the selections of the moderators. So those are the misconceptions that he wanted to bury. Let's see where it goes. I think he's a great guy. I don't think he's an anti-Trumper. And I think his willingness to come and talk about it twice on the air with us when one was canceled and the other one, you know, they made the changes, shows he's a stand-up guy. But you may think differently, and that's fine. Uh, When we come back, Burgess Owens joins us. Uh, And then we'll have Dr. Shelby Steele. You talk about race relations. If you care about race relations in America, regardless of your heritage, you got to pick up his documentary. It's called What Killed Michael Brown. Uh, This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: His mouth to your ears. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: The strongest thing that Trump has going for him in this election is is the economy.
4: Still, even though the unemployment is at eight percent, it was at three and a half, and and he needs. It's his biggest selling point. It's the the only issue on which voters trust him more than tr- they trust Joe Biden. And so, to the extent that any news uh, highlights the fact that that you know the, the economy and and his tax plan is going to be better for them, and he picks up
2: support wherever he can find it. Um, particularly among someone like 50 Cent, who's a you know pretty famous person, I think is good is is good news for him and, and not good news for Joe Biden, just in the short
14: term, uh, you know, of the news cycle.
2: And I love 50 Cent just because he said, "I want to hold on to my money. 65% of my money goes out the door. So you make $10 over $6 goes out the door with Joe Biden's tax plan. That's all he needed to know." Uh, Joining us now is Burgess Owens, former uh, NFL with the Raiders and Jets, and he is now neck and neck in the ultimate dead heat in Utah's 4th District. In fact, I think he has a slight lead uh, as they try to flip that seat back to Republican. Uh, Burgess, welcome back.
15: Brian, thank you so much. Looking forward to talking with you, my friend, for sure.
2: It's amazing when someone earns their wealth. Uh, They don't really (laughs) want to throw it away, do they?
15: You know, and it's interesting. It's an all-American uh, uh, theme. I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are, what race, what religion. We, we, we love the idea of meritocracy. And once we, we work hard to earn something, we want to keep it. It's kind of uh, a unique American way. And, and, and thank goodness we have a president who understands it. And we now see that there's, uh, there's uh, no, no daylight between uh, Joe Biden and the so- socialist uh, way of thinking. So uh, we, we have a good choice this, this time around. I believe Americans will make the right one.
2: Well, for you personally, people think, wow, NFL already had it real good. Back when you were playing, maybe Terry Bradshaw was the top earner, he's making about three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars winning four Super Bowls. I mean the starting yeah. shorts up on the Yankees in the seventies, which predated you, uh, was Gene Michael, who's making seventy thousand dollars. So you knew when you were getting out of football, you had to go earn a living after and you admitted it was tough in the beginning, right?
15: It was, and that's, uh, you know, it was a different day. We had to be nice guys. We had to be respectful because we knew that during all season you had to get a job. People had to like you. So that was a good part of that process. But the, I think the most important thing, Brian, is, is something that's, that's just pure with the American way. What do we do best? We dream. We risk. And if we fail and fall down, we, we, have, we have the tenacity to get back up and go for it again. It's called second chances. And that, that's the message really of America. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, with another four years we'll get the chance to get that message out to Everyone, this idea that we're victims, that we fall, and we no, we're no way of getting back up, that we have a press race—those—that's not Amer- the American way. And I'm looking forward to finally educating the American people as a, as a, as a, uh, an ideology, as a conservative, that this is a place that anybody can make it, and, and just uh, we, we tie ourselves into the tenets and move forward with it.
2: And you're not saying that like people who are racist and racism doesn't exist, but it's just to be overcome, right? <laughs>
15: Well, and that's, that's the key. We'll never get rid of racism, but but we are not a, a systemic racist country. You know, Brian, we talked about uh, starting off NFL. I, I began in 1973. C- keep this in mind. Came in 1973, there were no black quarterbacks, middle linebackers, or free safeties because those were, quote, the white men's thinking positions. We now have a, in a place where it doesn't matter what race you are if you're can, Put, put together the right talents, you can make $50 million a year, and unfortunately those who make that kind of income because of our educational system cannot stand for the flag and say thank you. That's what we need to change. We have to get back to teaching our young people our American way, our history, and not letting the, the far left do what they've been doing so well for, for decades, and is changing the narrative. And as a Mark, a Karl Marx said uh, back in the 1800s, the first battleground is rewriting of history. The left has been writing history, uh, rewriting our history for too long and we're paying the consequences right now. We need to make sure that changes.
2: So Mia Love had that seat. She lost it to uh, Congressman McAdams. You're now up a point. You were trailing by four in September. What's the closing message for the people of Utah?
15: The closing message, very simply, is we need to show up. Uh, we, we're, we're in a fight of, our, of our, uh, the, for the heart and soul of our nation. This district, by the way, is between one and three, of must-have of both sides. The Democrats must have to keep their chaos and division. We must have to keep our country and our culture. So for those here in, in, in District 4, let's show up. We, we, as, as, we, as those Again, Democrats, independents, and Republicans love our country. We show up, we win, and we get the House back and we move this, the thing, this thing forward. So by the way, Burgess4Utah.com, for those who want to support my efforts, we're down to the last two uh, weeks. Two Weeks and as uh, Al Davis would used to say, you remember this well, Brian. Uh, just win, baby, because that's what we're going to get done here, and the president's going to do the same. So I well, look forward to seeing that happen.
2: Well, I know you're not going to get out work, that's correct. Uh, but has the RNC supported you as the president? <laughs>
15: yeah, we have. We, we, we've gotten support across the board. Um, every Republican leader. Uh, I have, I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten calls from all, from the vice president to the president to uh, uh, I mean, all, the senators, the rep, rep, uh, represent, House of Representatives. So this is a collective force. And by the way, it's not just here. It's across this country. There's about 23 other um, uh, uh, potential uh, potential uh, guys, folks that can win this thing and get it, get it back for us, and, and candidates that's out there that are just like myself, have never been in political arena before. We get in this particular group. This is going to be a game changer. They're patriots. They're not political uh, prof- professional politicians. They're patriots. And for us to get this group in to get the House back, this country will be uh, very well served over the next four years in terms of coming together and, and getting back to what, we, what we've all believed in. I'm, just, I'm excited about being part of that process. So,
2: uh, Burgess, uh, as an elite athlete yourself during your day, you know what it's like to compete, get fans. This time there were no fans allowed, but ratings would gauge the level of interest Why do you think the NBA ratings were off over 50 percent?
15: Because Americans are saying uh, uh, very loudly, we don't want to be uh, lectured. Uh, we, we want to see, uh, we want to have a time where we can come together just to the flag, just like our flag, our national anthem, sports meant for all of us a time to come together to high-five each other because we're on the same team and not be in the divisive process. What we're seeing now is an ideologist using everything they can to, to divide us, whether it be sports, whether it be our flag, whether it be our national anthem, the NBA, the uh, NFL. Uh, it, it is, it, it, they are all over the place now where they're trying to do nothing but divide us. So Americans are saying that we're, we're fed up and we, we can we can take our dollars elsewhere. We don't need entertainment. We can do other things. And I'm, I'm proud of Americans for doing that. This is, this is what we call principle. We need to be principle enough to put aside those things that don't really matter to the things that truly do. And what matters to us right now is our kids need to see examples of what it is to respect, to appreciate who we are. And, uh, and, and those who don't Thank do you. that, who's making millions of dollars uh, and, and can, can't stand and, and, and appreciate who we are, we need to make sure they, they pay the price. At, uh, and, your pocketbooks.
2: Burgess sure. Owens going for the uh, going for the win of the backstretch, up by one. Uh, make it happen, Burgess. Good luck.
15: Appreciate the opportunity. Buddy. All the best,
8: Doctor
2: Shelby. Still next
8: from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich publisher of the Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. A black boy
16: dead in the street, shot by a white policeman.
4: This was an execution! This was an assassination!
16: It was four and a half
7: hours before they finally removed the body. It's like they left the body out there as a warning for us. To this day, there are people who blame Ferguson Market for Michael Brown's death.
0: Ferguson is a microcosm of this country.
7: White cop, black kid, absolutely race. Race played a
3: significant part of the reaction.
16: What happened in Ferguson was more about America, the very same America that would explode in 2020, where every black was George Floyd and every cop was Derek Chauvin.
2: That was Dr. Shelby Steele, He is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. He specializes in the study of race relations, and he put together an incredible documentary, What Killed Michael Brown?, that not only goes back to what happened in Ferguson, but brings us all up to today. And you could say it's a counter-narrative, but he also uses his real-life experience growing up, what he experienced, what he was doing in the 60s, and fast-forwards the difference between what was happening in the 60s and today. And he told the story like only he could, and we're privileged enough to have it. By the way, you can go, go get this now and download this documentary. It's certainly worth it. I don't care what your background is. Dr. Shelby Steele, welcome.
16: Well, thank you for having me.
2: Oh, man, I loved your documentary. I learned so much about it. And first off, if I'm going to do the story of my life, and there's a lot of people in line to do it, I want you to voice it over. you got the best voice ever for a documentary. You just command attention. <laughs>
16: Um, Wow, well, uh, that's nice to hear. Well,
2: first off, your approach. Ferguson happens. It seems like uh, centuries ago, but Ferguson happens. And maybe even before I ask that question, can you give everyone a sense of what it was like growing up as Shelby Steele, what your experience was as a young man, and what brought you here, where you're at today?
16: Well, I grew up uh, sort of in the era of segregation. Um, I was born in the mid-'40s. My parents... uh, were uh, met and married in the civil rights movement. They were founding members of CORE, Congress of Racial Equality. So I grew up in uh, w- with activist, uh, civil rights-focused uh, people, with parents who were. Um, this is back in the day when when it, it took a lot of character. There were there were no rewards. There was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of risk. But, uh, the, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't there was no grievance industry. There was no way to turn that into anything. So those, that was sort of my the the world that I you know, south side of Chicago, the world that I uh, I grew up in. Um, the 60s changed everything and and uh, changed me as well. I, I went through a, a black militant phase um, had the the Afro and the whole uh 9 yards um uh, travel to africa uh, sort of wanting to see what uh, my roots were and so forth and um, and it was a, it was a, a, in many ways the best thing i've ever done um uh africans would tell me that uh they were. Um, they wished their parents, their their family, had been captured by the slave slave uh, dealers and brought to America, so they could be Americans. Really? Uh yes. That's what they told so over and over. I heard that. Um, so,
2: Doctor Steele, so I, I, you, I, even go back to your, I, your, even your father. Your father lost both his parents by the time he was twelve. He was he was sleeping in a barn, right? That's right. And then yeah. he got he went to the north just for a better life. He wasn't blaming and it was hideous and I feel terrible about the segregation that exists in Reconstruction as you read about it. But he had yeah. a different mindset.
16: Yeah, he he uh and I I think uh, blacks did. There was there was uh this is the way the world was that they were born into. They you know, they did not have an idea that, you know, there could be a better or a different or somehow and so they had to make their way, and they, uh, they did. My father went to the third grade, but then he taught himself to read and write. He became, he read all of his life. Uh, uh, he, he invented himself, and, and self-invention is a feature of black culture uh, because we, we were born into a kind of a, a war in those days, a, a more chaotic situation. Uh, today, thankfully, that's, uh, I have advantages my father never had. I've, uh, the world opened in my lifetime. Um, as I have, have written about, the, the oppression of black people in the United States of America as, as a sort of uh, norm, a, a custom, is over with. We, we have come into, for the first time in our long sojourn here in America, we've come into freedom. Uh, and freedom is our our great challenge now uh we and we don't have a lot of experience with it uh but it it's that's what we face now we don't face racism racism is pretty much uh subdued it will never completely go away uh but it doesn't stop or or shape your life in the way it did when I was growing up. So with a lot of people uh,
2: going to be stunned you just said that, and that's part of why we're getting into your documentary. You said you don't, uh, you don't face racism.
16: That's right. We, the idea that uh, today that's, that um, many groups, Black Lives Matter is an example, um, racism is their power. Racism is the sort of moral uh, weapon that they hold over America's head. Uh, you're a racist country, you know you are. Therefore, you owe me. I'm entitled, uh, and so it, in a sense, try to virtually milk that victimization. Um, and the, you know, you, it's a, uh, not a good thing because in order to in order to get power that way, you have to think of yourself as a victim, as someone who's essentially helpless. And uh, and this is and so the real problems that you face this challenge to uh, uh, the freedom keeps giving us this openness that we now face uh, we we, we're, we don't know what to do with it and so in the yeah. face of freedom we, uh, we we keep talking about systemic racism.
2: So one of the uh, lines I wrote that I couldn't type quick enough, I kept pausing this, but one of the lines you say is, the civil rights movement was about wanting into America, and this movement was looking to change America, dismantle America. This movement, meaning all the social unrest we've seen, well, emblematic and didn't start, but one of the major moments was Ferguson. Dismantle America. Absolutely. America's bad. Yeah. And rather than, I want America to be better and I want in, America's bad, it's got to be dismantled.
16: Right. That's absolutely yeah, that's the, that's the new uh, and you want to ask the obvious question, well, why is that? How can, how can you miss the fact that you're free now? The other side of this whole equation is white America, which keeps functioning out of what I call white guilt. This, this is, since the '60s has been, white America has been desperate to prove that it is not racist. That it is an open democracy, it is. But they whites are, are just absolutely obsessed with it, and so they kept pay they keep then paying off blacks who are saying they're victims of racism, in order to show that they're innocent of racism.
2: So one and of the that's lines the you
16: sort of double bind that we we find ourselves in.
2: So one of the lines you say is liberalism stole black problems away from black people.
16: Yes, yes, indeed. Can you expand it on truly that? Did. Uh, and we we have a long section in there on public housing where you you see how destructive public housing was to to the black family. Well, in the black neighborhood I grew up in, there was no public housing. Everybody was on their own. People bought houses and scrambled and, and to to pay for them and so forth and and moved up uh, in in society. And that's that's. Uh, Liberalism comes along and says, Oh, we'll take over the problem of housing from you. Well, the minute you do that, you infantilize black people you 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 wouldn't do that to whites nope, but somehow America did that to blacks, and it was we'll take over your educational problems we'll take over your housing problems we'll take over the uh, the collapse of the family we we will do we we are the actors." We are the doers. You are just sort of invisible ciphers of of victimization.
2: Huh. So let let's, and you
16: you sit on the sidelines and watch us bring you forward.
2: So let, well, let that let's go obviously to obviously doesn't work. Obviously, so let's go to Ferguson. I think this is one documentary. I know you, so I know it's going in a different direction. But I think you're going to go examine the unrest in Ferguson. What happened to Michael Brown? What did we think happened? What did happen? And what about Eric Holder? Did he make things better as attorney general or worse?
16: Well, uh, yes, Michael, I mean, uh, Eric Holder made things much worse. <laughs> uh, but he, he, he exemplifies this, this relationship. Uh, what happened to Michael Brown is that he lost his temper. He was walking down the street. The policeman asked him to please uh, walk on the sidewalk. Uh, f- f- for reasons we'll never understand, Michael Brown attacked a police the policeman, balled up his fist, hit him in the side of the face, began to wrestle him for his gun. Finally, he broke loose and he he ran, uh, started to run away. Then he stopped, he turned around, and he charged Darren Wilson, the policeman, uh, who, who who backed up, backed up, and backed up. Finally, couldn't back up anymore, and shot him. That's what happened. Um, the, there, there was not a shred of evidence that any of this had anything to do with racism.
2: So, how long but did right the away, right away? That's the story. White cop, black, that's, black uh, kid.
16: Black kid. So here is a uh, an incarnation of America's ugly racial history. White, white supremacy, black victims. Um, why, why did that happen? because in that victimization was power, uh, as far as blacks were concerned. This gives us the moral upper hand. This gives us a weapon to fight with in this society. So once again, rather than deal with our actual problems, uh, we relied on the power that came from our victimization. And white guilt pays off. White guilt finds a way to to uh, uh, in, in whenever there is a, a racial conflict like this, it comes up with another social program of some kind.
2: And Shelby Steele, yeah. what did you find out uh, when they found and looked into the facts? Even Eric Holder, who came to town and only met with black leaders, not white mayors, he found out right. they looked at the facts of the case and they could not convict this guy. Uh, they could not convict no, they, the, the they opposite. could not
16: convict him. There, was, uh, there were two different uh, grand jury investigations and two different Justice Department investigations and an FBI investigation. And none of them turned up a single piece of evidence that would uh, point to racial animus of any, of any kind. Uh, but, it, again, that was disregarded even today as we speak. Uh, there are many – there are people in Ferguson – who believe Michael uh, Brown was killed uh, by, by uh, out of a racial, a racist motivation.
2: Lastly, you fast forward to George Floyd, and it is a tragedy, and that everyone was horrified by what happened. But what yes. has happened after that is not excusable.
16: Right. Again, there's this this the this impulse to exploit the tragedy? That's become the basic formula for black power in the United States of America. So we're not saying let's have a campaign and really, really make sure our children are educated. We're saying you owe us something because of George Floyd.
2: I don't want to give away your whole documentary, but there's a lot of hope in it. And this guy, Pastor Brooks. And you talk about, and and there's a lot of heroes who just want to give these kids and their kids, uh, no one cares about their color. They just want to give kids an opportunity. So does almost everybody listening right now, by the way. And Pastor Bush is going to make a difference. And so so are other people. By not giving people money, by letting them know their potential, their opportunity, and the education that is out there and making sure they go for it, rather than look at bad role models that are too often around them.
16: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's... uh... It's a simple thing. It's not, as I say, it's not higher math. Those old. I I was able to advance because even in the midst of segregation, my father said, You're going to work hard. (laughs) You're going to get everything you can out of school. You're going to go as far as you can. You're going to run into racism every day. Overcome it. But that's not going to stop you.
2: And that's got to be the. I hate to say it. Well,
16: that was the black strength. That's what enabled us to survive four centuries of oppression
2: absolutely it doesn't mean it was right but it means no, so, you, no. you just keep working you keep working until you realize that american society has made the improvements to level the playing field but you can't burn it down and i had no, some no, sound no, bites but no. you're too fascinating to talk to to roll it of hawk Newsom of black lives matter saying if we don't get what we want we're going to burn it down that is that yeah. if you watch this documentary you're hardly an apologist you lived a You've earned everything that you've achieved. Your family has got to be um, unbelievably proud of you. And there's so much that you have learned that you're trying to impart in this documentary. And I hope people go get it. It's called What Killed Michael Brown. Dr. Shelby Steele, thanks so much.
1: Thank you very
4: much.
2: You got it. Back in a moment.
1: Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: And with this passion on Long Island and upstate New York, do you want to give a chance at New Do you want to give a shot at New York?
3: I do. I really do. And New York has run so badly. And I say, why would I lose New York? You know, and now upstate New York, Long Island, all those areas, I win by a landslide. It's only that core, and that core is rotting because of bad management, bad politics. The core of New York is rotting, and people have left. And no, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. They say you can't as a Republican, and it hasn't happened for many decades, but I'm going to give it a shot. I think you're 100 percent right, (laughs) Brian. So I
2: asked the president of the United States two hours ago, what about New York? I'm, I'm watching at my house, and I'm sorry if you don't understand where Long Island is, just off New York uh, City, and it goes about, uh, the whole thing goes about 70 miles, so it's about 60 miles to Montauk, the very end, and these cars just lined up and went all the way down Long Island and divisioned food to food banks and churches along the way, just with Trump signs and um, and Blue Lives Matter flags. And I'm watching this over and over again. This is like the third straight weekend that there was some type of semblance of major action. There's been four or five flotillas, even in New Jersey. I'm seeing it in places he doesn't get. We're seeing people five deep in Newport Beach to see the president of the United States. And then at the same time, I pick up the New York Times and I say, oh, wait a second. How's it going? Well, Joe Biden leads Donald Trump nationally by nine points. And he is viewed more favorable on every major issue. Hmm, okay. New York Times is saying the same thing with Hillary Clinton, was saying the same thing before. And I'm not saying it's not going to be harder. In some ways, it's harder. In some ways, it's easier. In some ways, it's easier because you could honestly say, well, the Supreme Court justices, over 200 uh, judges at high levels. You could say that the economy was at uh, unemployment was at 3.5 percent, had growth was hitting towards 3.5 percent. He passed a tax plan. You know the stuff that he's done. He's built the wall. He's cracked down on illegal immigration the best he could. He's he's really pushed the courts to crack down on sanctuary cities. He did everything he said. What I think people should think twice about, especially Republicans, is whatever Trump is that you don't like, he's doing the things you like. If you're a Democrat, I understand. You're not happy. But if you're a Republican, look at accomplishments and agenda and just know... He's going to do exactly what he says.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the com daily newsletter, and I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominic Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.